<coughs> this is the last day of this November 2019 seven-day session. I'm going to take up a koan this morning. This is uh, in the Shoyoroku collection, the uh, Book of Serenity, sometimes called the Book of Equanimity. It's number 32 in the Shoyoroku, Yangshan's Mind and Environment. <clears throat> uh, rather than reading through it all first, as I usually do, I think I'll just just take up the uh, biographical material for this uh, Yangshan. Yangshan is a Chinese master. His Japanese name, that is, the name he's known by in Japan, is Kyozan. <clears throat> he lived in the ninth century. He was the main disciple, the, the premier disciple of the great Guishan, known in Japan as Isan. I'm reading here from Zen's Chinese heritage, Andy Ferguson. It's a huge uh, collection of stories about the uh, Tang Dynasty masters. His parents refused him permission to become a monk, so Yangshan demonstrated his resolve to them by cutting off two of his fingers, vowing that he would seek the true Dharma to repay his filial obligations. He traveled, after becoming ordained, he traveled uh, visiting famous temples. Travel uh, means always meant, uh, well, mostly meant by foot, traveling hundreds of miles by foot. I guess sometimes they would do some by horseback, but boy, the ground they covered in, in those days. It says that after traveling for some time, uh, Yang Shan uh, resided and trained under uh, the disciple, the famous disciple of the national teacher, Hui Zhong. And it says there he had his first great insight. He, tra he traveled on and came to the temple of Guishan, uh, and it was under him that he attained enlightenment and became his foremost disciple. And they became the co-founders of a lineage of Zen, and they, their last names were combined. He, uh, Yangshan and, and Guishan to become Guish, the Guiyang school of Zen. And it says here, Yangshan drew students from throughout the realm. 
the the Guiyang lineage of Zen employed sacred symbols uh, to convey uh, Buddhist truths. This uh, there is a, a koan in the same collection, the Shoyuroku, uh, where this is brought out. These uh, symbols I don't have to call them sacred. These symbols, um, but then they uh, went out of use hundreds of years ago. <clears throat> And then the uh, story of of Yangshan's enlightenment under Guishan, he asked him, what is the true abode of Buddha? Guishan said, think of the unfathomable mystery and return your thoughts to the inexhaustible, numinous light. When thoughts are exhausted, you've arrived at the source where true nature is revealed as eternally abiding. In that place, there is no difference between affairs and principle, and the true Buddha is manifested. You could say the true awareness. Remember, Buddha means awareness, enlightened awareness. And that's where this true Buddha is manifested. And upon hearing these words, Yangshan experienced great enlightenment. It says, return your thoughts to the inexhaustible, numinous light. And we'll, this will come up again later in Taisho, this realm, uh, the numinon, the one, the nun. <clears throat> Here's an exchange where a, a layman by the name of, uh, well, a layman asked Yangshan, may I hear the principle of attaining mind? Yangshan said, if you want to attain mind, then there's no mind which can be attained. It is this unattainable mind which is known as truth. Another monk asked Yangshan, what is the difference between heaven and hell? Yangshan drew a line on the ground. In Zen, we discover that heaven and hell are, are all determined by our own mind, that we create our heavens and hells by the state of our minds. And we have a description here of his last, um, la- 
last days, when he was near death, a great many of disciples were at his side to attend to him. He took a brush and wrote out the following verse for the monks to read. Countless disciples, I look across you all, and you gaze back. Two mouths, one without a tongue, this is my teaching. One without a tongue. No eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, mind. When there's no separation, then we can say that all of these things don't exist. When we're hearing no mindedly, no ears, speaking no mindedly, no tongue. says that at exactly noon, Yangshan sat on the platform and said goodbye to the congregation. He then recited another verse. Completing 77 years, today it ends. When the orb of the sun is just at noon, the two hands fold the legs. And upon saying these words, Yangshan used his hands to fold his legs into a cross-legged posture and then passed away. And now back to case, mind and environment. Could be a the name of a, if we made it mind versus environment, it could be the name of a legal case. And it begins, Yangshang asked a monk, where are you from? It's a very common opening salvo in these meetings between a master and a monk, between two masters. Where are you from? Monk said, I am from Yu province. He missed the the import of Yangshan's question. Yangshan said, so was Yangshan. Okay, Yangshan. Okay, let's let's meet him where he is, um, and just go to the next point. Yangshan said, "Do you think of that place? That place." The monk said, "I always do." It's a sincere monk. And then Yangshan, that which thinks is the mind, that which is thought about is the environment. 
in the environment, our mountains, rivers, the great earth, towers, palaces, people, animals, and other things. But now reflect, reflect upon the mind that thinks. Are there many things there? I wonder. And the monk said, I don't see anything at all there. Yangshan said, that's all, that's all right so far as belief is concerned, but it's not enough for real living. The monk asked, do you have any particular advice, Master? Yangshan said, it misses the mark to say, it misses the mark to say there is or there is not. As for your insight, you have reached only one side of the mystery. In taking a seat and wearing robes, see it for yourself later on. That's the end of the case. So <clears throat> Yangshan starts by probing uh, to see what this monk has experienced. Where are you from? I'm from Yu province. All right. Okay, then let's try it this way. Do you think of that place? I always do. Yang Shan said, "That which is think that's what that which thinks is the mind. That which is thought about is the environment." So here he's acknowledging uh, this difference that we create with words. Subject, object. But then he, he goes along with that and he says, in, in the so-called environment are all of these things. Mountains, rivers, the earth itself, the moon, trees, tractors, houses, cars, hammers and saws, celery and carrots. But then he says, but now reflect upon the mind that thinks, the subject. Are there many things there? And the monk's reply suggests that he's, he's, Study the Dharma. He's read his sutras because he says, I don't see anything at all there. Form is only emptiness. 
the world of phenomena is fundamentally without anything, nothing. In the Affirming Faith in Mind, we say, when you assert that things are real, you miss their true reality, but to assert that things are void also misses reality. I don't see anything at all there. To which Yangshan said, all right, that's, so, that's all right so far as belief is concerned, but it's not enough for real living. Uh, in another translation uh, by uh, Thomas Cleary, it goes like this. Yangshan said, This is right for the stage of faith, but not yet right for the stage of person. It's a little obscure, but uh, this other rendering makes it more clear. Okay, you've, you've got, you have your beliefs, but... Beliefs only go so far, and faith only goes so far. Then there's realization. And then the monk asked, do you have any particular advice, Master? So again, the sincerity. Uh, some, like some monks might get miffed, and when they're told, all right, you've done your, your book work, you've done your learning, but Zen is not about learning. It's confirming through direct experience. Do you have any particular advice, Master? Yangshan said, It misses the mark to say there is or there is not. Um, the Cleary translation is, To say that I have anything particular or not would not be accurate. As for your insight, you have reached only one side of the mystery. Well, this this does happen in Zazen, in Sashin, where we get a glimpse of emptiness. The mind suddenly falls silent. Pure, absolutely still, 
get a a peek into the inner inner innermost sanctum of the mind sanctum santorum except it's not the holiest of holies because it's empty when bodhidharma was asked by the emperor what is the first principle of the holy teaching he said emptiness and nothing holy This, this emptiness is infinitely more full and rich than anything we could call holy. Holy is still dualistic. It's part of this dichotomy, the holy and the profane, the religious and the mundane or secular. All of that disappears in this experience of the void. And this is not a macchio. Someone once described it as it's coming so suddenly, peering into this wonderful black abyss that chills went down his spine. Hair stood up on the back of his neck. The body does not lie. Cohen said, the mirror of wisdom is dark, dark as the mouth of a wolf. This sometimes it is such a riveting, it's such a earth-shaking experience that one can mistake it for awakening itself, true awakening. And there are teachers who will pass a student who's had had this kind of a glimpse into the void as having come to an awakening. Yangshan would have none of that. That's all right so far as belief is concerned, but it's not enough for real living. Well, maybe these are two different things. Uh, The monk is uh, reporting something that he may have only learned through his sutra study. This other thing is the direct experience, but it is still, uh, still has tuness to it. There's, there's this black hole, uh, which means that all around it is form, emptiness and form, two things.
this hole is what Guishan was referring to, uh, the inexhaustible, numinous light. this Tunis. In, uh, in Thomas Cleary's translation of the Book of Serenity, um, he quotes a Chan master, Hao Sheng. Uh, it's, this is his translation of the original book. So it's not, these aren't his words, but he's, uh, he's quoting this Hao Sheng uh, about the ox herding pictures, you know, the ox herding pictures are usually shown as ten frames of the different stages en route to enlightenment, and then also beyond, before and after enlightenment. And uh, this master Hao Sheng here is is talking about the sixth stage. He says this is the stage of faith is gradually matured and one is generally aware of wrong states. So being able to distinguish between thoughts and no thoughts, this is no small thing. Uh, in earlier in practice, these can get all muddled together. We're not, we're not aware of thoughts when they uh, pull us away, when they creep into the mind. There's no sharp distinction there. But then as time goes on, we get better at distinguishing these these two, these thoughts, and that there are many, many millions of forms of thought and no thought, the absence of thought. He says, one is generally aware of wrong states, it's thoughts, Although one distinguishes purity and defilement, it is like a sword cutting mud. One still retains the halter. Back to the image of ox herding. One still retains the halter. One cannot yet rely on faith. Therefore, the ox is half white, half black. not yet mixed together. And uh, this same master, Hao Sheng, writes a verse, Although long having herded in the fields, the hand leading the rope gradually loosens. That is, getting some uh, ability to not be pulled in this direction and that direction by our thoughts. The hand leading the rope gradually loosens, going along, holding, not dark and muddled, progressing in training. He doesn't follow close by. 
and this is the ox herder, doesn't need to be having such a tight, uh, short leash. The ox sporting on clear ground, the ox herder always keeps holding the long whip. The fragrant grasses on the green mountains are slender. With one flavor, they daily satisfy hunger. Still, even though the ox is still half white and half black with this kind of experience, this uh, transforming experience, it's, um, it confirms faith, faith that there is something beyond this world of mental phenomena and physical phenomena, that there is Nothing. And this nothing is nothing like what we would ever think was nothing. This one experience can draw one back uh, to practice, back to Sashin for years and years and years. I ran across a, a passage once from a book by an explorer, Paul, uh, called Paul Bowles. Um, and um, this is what he wrote about his encounter with the Sahara Desert. The answer is that when one has been there and undergone the baptism of solitude, he can't help himself. Once he has been under the spell of the vast, luminous, silent country, no other place is quite strong enough for him. No other surroundings can provide the supremely satisfying sensation of existing in the midst of something that is absolute. He will go back, whatever the cost is in comfort and money, for the absolute has no price. But as we chant in Affirming Faith in Mind, awakening is to go beyond both emptiness as well as form. It's not just getting a glimpse that form is emptiness, but then completing the circle and seeing that emptiness is also form. These kind of experiences, even this, this, what can be quite an arresting experience of seeing this uh, mouth of the wolf um, as as powerful as it can be, uh, it it is will just fade into just a, uh, a marvelous memory uh, if one doesn't continue 
practicing. And then one can become what uh, what Yangshan suggests that this monk is uh, when he says, uh, "You've only reached one side of the mystery." There's a there's a phrase in Japan translated as a bored carrying fellow, and it refers to uh, one who is carrying a a long plank on one shoulder so that his sight is obscured. He can't see, uh, let's say it's on the right shoulder, he can't see to the right. He only sees to the left. And he mistakes the whole reality, the whole world, for just what he can see on the left. You've reached only one side of the mystery. And so, his final, Yangshan's final advice, in taking a seat and wearing robes, see it for yourself later on. Brings him back to his life. His life of things. And to training. Sitting, wearing robes, driving to work, putting on a suit and tie, cooking, cleaning, shoveling snow. My I'm not a religious scholar, but my sense is that there are, that all of the major religions uh, speak of oneness. Um, But what is unique, I think, what is unique about the Dharma is this teaching of emptiness, of shunyata. And yet the, ex- the experience of that is not limited to people who consider themselves Buddhists. There are others, call them mystics, we must, uh, who, because it is a reality, it's not particular, specific to a religion, <clears throat> because it is this, this no mind, this emptiness, this void, is the substratum of all existence, the source, if you will, the ground, the fundamental ground, it's called in Buddhism, in Zen. You have these these remarkable statements. There's uh, one that I picked up somewhere uh, written by a, a Kashmiri sage, a woman, a 14th century woman, by the name of Lala, L-A-L-L-A. And this is the way she described her experience, or her, the, the, her new world based on her experience. There is a lake so tiny that a mustard, mustard seed 
would cover it easily. Yet everyone drinks from this lake. Deer, jackals, rhinoceroses, and sea elephants keep falling into it, falling and dissolving almost before they have time to be born. And Rilke, the wonderful poet Rilke, you darkness from whom I am born, I love you more. Time is up. We'll stop and recite the four vows. Thank you.